Welcome to Urban Forum Northwest with your host, Eddie Rye. We have a number of people we're going to be talking with today. We're going to start out with uh, Seattle Port Commissioner Hamdi Muhammad, the first Black woman to ever be elected uh, to the Seattle Port Commission. And she has a stellar record in terms of community involvement. At a very early age, she has quite a uh, resume of volunteer opportunities with uh, serving as uh, boards um, uh, for nonprofits. And I guess the most significant board she's serving on right now has to do, do directly with the Port of Seattle. And that is, uh, she is uh, on the advisory board of Maritime High School, and they're the people that are going to be training the folks to be, work in the maritime industry. So, uh, Commissioner Kamdi Muhammad, welcome to Urban Forum Northwest. I'd like to have you start out by just uh, letting our listeners know a little bit about your background. Take a couple of minutes and share that with us, although we know it would take a half an hour if you listen to everything, but just take out some of the significant uh, things you've been involved with. Thank you, um, Mr. Eddie Wright, for having me on. Um, hello to all the listeners. Um, yes, I am your newly elected Port of Seattle Commissioner. I was elected November 2021. It was a historical race, and my decision to run for Port Commission stemmed from my long history and connection with the Port of Seattle. Um, you know, my mom was a SeaTac airport worker. My father was a truck driver, and, you know, I've had my husband and a bunch of my siblings have also worked in um, at our port and I, I live in South King County. And so I've always felt like I have been very much part of the port community. Um, I uh, recently was also appointed as the director of the Office of Immigrant and Refugee Affairs for the city of Seattle. And so I also serve in Mayor Bruce Harold's administration. Um, and so, uh, and prior to that, I was a policy advisor for our county exe executive advising on the county's $12 billion budget, um, directing funds and investments into small businesses, community organizations, and COVID response. And um, I feel very lucky and, and honored to be your Port of Seattle commissioner. And um, my, my big focus has been on ensuring that we recover from this pandemic equitably. Um, workforce development, economic development have been areas of focus for me. And uh, talk about some of the, the nonprofit work you've done with the various, serving on various boards in, 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 the, in the county. Yeah, I, you know, I have um, also worked for uh, Care International, the Refugee Women Alliance in roles that were dedicated to fighting poverty and empowering immigrants and refugees in minority communities. Um, done that for a very long time. I always consider myself a, uh, a community activist first, right? Making sure that I am um, working in community. I decided to run because, because so many of my community members asked me to, to step up and decided to do that. And we are you know, doing a lot of really great work at the Port of Seattle right now that are very much aligned with those community organizations and their ask. I'm proud to share that we have launched a youth career launch program that focuses on creating pathways to higher quality jobs using a career connective learning framework in which young people are taken through the stages of awareness, experimental, preparation and launch, launching them into um, careers that are connected to our port, um, careers in aviation and in maritime. And um, this is a, over a, a 
$1 million uh, program uh, that I am proud to have sponsored um, in just my short time on the port. And it is really um, a program that focused on what I was hearing from our community members, um, that really we need more programs that focus on creating these real pathways to permanent jobs, um, investing up, upstream where the needs are greatest, um, is addressing root causes and smartly, you know, allocating our public resources and uh, changing the directions to make those improvement um, is so important. And so we've been able to do that in partnership with our community organizations and what the, the sort of vision that I was hearing during the campaign. And um, it's been really great being able to work towards the implementation of that right now. Now, I know that you've met with some of the vendors uh, who were at SeaTac, and over the few years, we had a tumultuous time trying to get equity for some of those folks. And uh, so far, uh, we've had uh, some sympathetic ears from Steve Metrut and a few others to make sure some things were happening. Uh, in terms of uh, minority participation at the port, uh, what does that look like from your, have you had a chance to review uh, both uh, the construction, goods and services, as well as uh, vendors at the airport? Yeah, that, that is a, a really great question and has been a, a priority area of mine. I was talking to a lot of those vendors and folks who are interested in doing um, business at the port before getting elected and even now as a, a commissioner, um, economic development, ensuring our small businesses are taken care of and their needs are prioritized have always been um, top priority areas for me. Um, you know, last year, the Port of Seattle hit that 12% in terms of the port's dollars spent on um, women and minority owned enterprises, Wimby businesses and firms. Um, and that is, you know, that's representing about over $26 million in investment with um, uh, Wimby business partners. And while, you know, that that's um, some progress, we still have a very long way to go. And we, um, I, I'm, I'll, I'll be able to share, we just started a study to identify how we can further improve these efforts and um, are focusing on, you know, putting, uh, putting some dollars into res uh, research to help us identify what's, what some of the existing gaps are. And that study has come from um, some of those businesses identifying the challenges. And um, I will share that uh, one of the first things that I've done is um, I've, I've just stood up an ad hoc committee on uh, small business recovery. And so I'll be working in, in close partnership with a number of our small businesses to help understand what their needs are, right? A assess where the gaps are um, to be able to prioritize solutions that really center their needs. Um, I think a lot of the times we think we know what businesses need or community need and um, are not doing the appropriate sort of assessment. And so um, that is my intention is to make sure that we're making doing those assessments and ensuring that we're investing in where the needs are, are great. Um, also, uh, recently, the Port of Seattle is leading an effort in partnership with Seattle Chamber that would fund and support about 10 to 15 business navigators across King County 
to help uh, uh, impacted small businesses get the critical you know, help and resources that they need. And those navigators will also um, participate in um, the ad hoc committee that I stood up on small business recovery. And so with the navigators, with the, re the study that's being done, I hope we are able to come up with some solutions that will uh, address uh, um, some of the gaps that we are seeing and some of the, the issues we've heard from our small businesses that are operating at the port and those who are actually looking for opportunities to um, get a port contract, right? Like technical assistance programs, ensuring that you know we're, we're providing some of the, that small business relief assistance to help um, address some of the barriers and make it easier to, to, to partner with the port when it comes to contracting. And, uh, you know, on that uh, women and minority business situation, uh, just to give you an idea where federal funds, there's a DBE program. And just to give you an idea, uh, white females are waved out of the program at Sound Transit because of the fact uh, the larger contracts, primarily white males, will pick a white woman before they will pick anybody of color. So I just wanted to make sure that uh, when you're looking at the federal dollars coming through the Port of Seattle, that we don't have that same huge uh, paradigm where you got one group getting everything and other folks being marginalized. Because uh, uh, with I-200 passing and no affirmative action for 23 years, uh, a lot of folks have been doing whatever they wanted to do. As a matter of fact, uh, I know for a fact that some prime contractors on a couple of large projects have told uh, the, the bosses of the agencies they don't want to have anyone looking over their shoulders in terms of any kind of compliance for women and minority participation on the job and on the contracts. So I just want to make sure, be aware of the fact that one group seems to be uh, uh, making, uh, getting all of the opportunities at the expense of all the others. And then look at the fact that after 23 years of no affirmative action, uh, Black, black uh, African-Americans have really suffered because of the fact we're the same group that kicked the doors down 30 or 40 years ago to start these programs. So mm -hmm. we're still, you can just see the Supreme Court uh, hearing and you can hear what kind of mentality we have out here in Washington, D.C. But yeah. I really appreciate your what you're doing. Uh, you really have a vision. And uh, what would you say uh, during this short period of time, what has been your major accomplishment? You know, um, I, I will... Yeah, I'm happy to share my, my major accomplishment. Um, uh, but I, let me just say, you know, as a black immigrant, the seeds of my success were planted long ago in this region by black leaders like yourself and others um, that made my election possible. And to your point about, you know, breaking down the data when we're talking about Wimby businesses is so important, right? Like, Black, Indigenous, and people of color, you hear the word BIPOC all the time. And it is really important that while we have to build these coalitions and understand that, you know, um, we're in solidarity with, with each other, that also we are ensuring that we're looking at what, um, how different groups are being impacted. And so a lot of the times I even recognize the fact that I'm a Black immigrant and the seeds of my success have been in this region because of African-Americans and that, you know, um, addressing the needs of 
specific communities is so important. I mean, I talked about that when I talk about our criminal justice system, right? When we talk about, you know, Black immigrants, they have language barriers, citizenship issues, and we get all lumped up together. um, And the issues don't, like the needs of of community members are not being addressed appropriately. And it's the same thing for for our small businesses as well. I think, you know, some of my biggest accomplishment right now, I haven't even been at the court for 90 days just yet, but I'm really proud of the career launch program. I mean, it's a it's a it's a, a million dollar program that um, really focuses on creating pathways to permanent jobs for our young folks that it's a it's a pilot program that will look at curriculums that really will give our nonprofits the tools that they need to, to help them um, get our young folks ready for aviation and maritime careers. Also, um, you know, I, I have been a strong advocate of our trucking community who have been the life bloodline of this, um, of the the, the pandemic ensuring our supplies get to us. And so um, I I, uh, supported a Washington state uh, bill, House Bill 1706 that passed, um, that talked about some of the working conditions for truck drivers, ensuring that they have adequate access to restrooms. Um, I introduced a motion that was similar to that bill um, at the Northwest Seaport Alliance a meeting and that passed uh, unanimously. My colleagues all supported it and we were able to include House Bill 1706 into our uh, alliance's uh, state legislative priority areas. I've been a strong advocate for also making sure that the federal infrastructure dollars, 400 million is uh, expected to uh, go towards um, uh, reducing admissions for trucks and I've been saying and, and pushing that we ensure that those dollars also address the needs of our, you know, our black immigrant uh, trucking companies as well. And that we uh, center their needs, um, expanding programs like the clean truck uh, program. Hamdi Mohammed, you have to come back and do a quarterly report because you have a lot of information. That's right. And we have some other folks on today, but we really <laughs> appreciate hearing from you. You're, uh, uh, I'll walk shoulder to shoulder with you because you're definitely doing the right thing. And so let's make it a point to have you on at least quarterly on this program. You and can thank you very much it. for all the work you've done in 90 days. Thank you very much. Thank you, Mr. Wright. Thank you all. Okay, then. Thank you. Uh, my next guest is legendary civil rights attorney and uh, icon in the courtrooms from Seattle, Washington to the Supreme Court in Washington, D.C., Limbar G. Howell. Uh, I know he's been watching uh, the Supreme Court uh, Judge Katanji uh, Brown Jackson very closely, watching the C. I know we're going to hear the difference between what happened with the last two Supreme Court justices who are now on the bench. Uh, their hearings compared to the current judge. Lim, what do you have to say about that? Well, let me tell you, uh, I am so proud of Judge Jackson. Let me tell you, This was no, you know, affirmative action baby, right? She graduated with honors from Harvard College. She graduated from the law school with honors. She was a law clerk to judges on the uh, district court, court of appeals, and the Supreme Court. She was from, she started out uh, in high school. She was uh, a debate champion. So this woman is extremely well qualified, better qualified, I dare say, than any member of the bench. All right. So they couldn't touch her. They could not touch her. 
with her credentials because she was supremely qualified. If anybody was deemed for the Supreme Court, this woman was. But of course, she had two strikes against her. She was black and she was a woman. So you know that they, uh, some of them would be out together. I couldn't believe how rude Graham was and Cruz. They were definite. They wouldn't give her a chance to answer. But one of the requirements we have for Supreme Court justices is to have judicial temperament. She was the model of judicial temperament. She didn't get flustered and said, damn it, give me a chance to answer or something like that, like the way that uh, that guy Kavanaugh was. Remember how he was threatening, I'll get back to you and so forth and so on. He definitely didn't have a temperament. And the first time in its history, a former Supreme Court justice said he should not be appointed to the bench. And yet with all of that, they didn't see anything wrong with him and they appointed him. And here comes this extremely well-qualified woman. I mean, she wrote 570 opinions. They picked out one where they say that the, the, the court had said that, uh, 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 I mean, the Congress had said it's not reviewed, but, or it cannot be changed. But there was another statute that says they have to follow the APA. So she read these statutes in conjunction and the uh, Court of Appeals or the D.C. Circuit, uh, Circuit overruled her. But then it was reinstated by the Supreme Court. So, you know, they couldn't touch this woman and then ask her on uh, on your uh, what is it now? Your 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 church going or something on a scale of one day. No, religious test has never been a requirement and is prohibited by the Constitution. I can't tell you how angry I was, but Booker said, Senator Booker said it right when he said, well, you and I know what we had to go through to be here. And that brought tears to her eyes because she realized she did everything right. And now some mean bastards are trying to prevent her from taking her seat on the court. I was so extremely proud of her because uh, I you couldn't find a better candidate. I mean, she she was in private practice. She was a public defender. Uh, 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 she was everything that you'd want on the Supreme Court. And she was calm, cool, reasonable didn't have any type of agenda. She was just going to follow the law and she was going to follow the facts. Oh, let me tell you what else they did. One of their big arguments, well, maybe she's, uh, uh, she's soft on these pedophiles and these uh, people who, who get uh, uh, things off the internet. The law, the guidelines were written in 1982 before we had internet. So one of the criteria that they'd used for the guideline is how many times they wrote in the mail to get pictures and so forth. She said with a, with a flick of the switch on the computer, you can get thousands of these email things. And so that is not a good test. So she said, no, you've got to change the, the requirements. And the Congress said, impose the least, the least stringent measure to achieve the purposes of the statute. And that's exactly what she did. And 70% of other judges do it. 
So they, I think, now you tell me what critical race theory has to do with an appointment in the Supreme Court. Tell me what does uh, 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 1619 have to do with an appointment to the Supreme Absolutely nothing. So they go to, uh, because she's on the board of a school where they said they, they're, they teach progressive, uh, they're progressive and so forth. That becomes a, a, a basis for denying her a, a, a point. I'll tell you, Eddie, I'm really nervous about this appointment because if they can get if they can get uh, Mansion or Siena to uh, not approve it, then this woman would not approve. I am a nervous wreck waiting for the Senate to vote because I think you couldn't have picked a better candidate for the court. I am so proud of her. And she's not a Clarence Thomas. No, I don't, I don't think. Do you realize that SOB voted against, against the Voting Rights Act? Do you realize that? He voted against affirmative action. He voted against everything in our interest. I can't believe it. I, 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 I was looking for something redemptive in the brothers' tenure on the court. And Eddie, I can't find it. I can't find it. Even though he got everything through affirmative action himself, his uh, scholarships uh, to college, uh, his position with EEOC, his judgeship. Uh, as a matter of fact, the late Art Fletcher said the biggest politi political mistake he ever made was letting George H.W. Bush talk him and endorsing Clarence Thomas. He's the one that coined the phrase Clarence Tom ass. He admits being a recipient of affirmative action. That's how he got to Yale, I believe. And can you, you know, he's no great brain. Well, that's obvious. And I remember uh, uh, Senate, uh, uh, Judge Higginbottom's letter to him as a fellow member of the, of the bar, uh, of the bench. He said to him, you couldn't be married to who you are married to. You couldn't live where you are where you live if it wasn't for the struggles that civil rights uh, leaders had brought through the years. And, you know, it really hurt me deeply when Bush, the older, the elder Bush appointed him to the court because he, picked, he, he sat in my hero seat, Thurgood Marshall. That was really a body blow. I, 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 I think to myself, you remember the brother who was in jail, was beaten up, his teeth knocked out, and the law, uh, the Eighth Amendment provides against cruel and unusual punishment. And even Rehnquist said this is a, a, a violation of the Eighth Amendment. And two judges said no and dissented, and that was Scalia and Brother Thomas. I can't call him a brother. Clarence Thomas. Well, Clarence time asks, but anyway. Well, Lim, so I'm, I'm praying with you that uh, they do the right thing. Uh, but once again, you know, we they talk about sentencing. Uh, what are the Republicans, what's Lindsey Graham and Cotton and those guys saying about uh, the January 6th insurrectionists that's getting two weeks and 44 months and stuff like that? And here they tried to overthrow the government, but yet they're getting right. slept on that's the rest. That's right. They're traitors. They're traitors. They're traitors. 131 Republican House members and eight senators voted not to uh, confirm Biden as president 
and follow what the usual procedures is. I am really worried for this country. We're in we're in for some bad times. And you know what hurts, uh, uh, Eddie, is these guys. Cruz was in law review too, and he was, I think, jealous of her. And uh, 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 Graham was despicable. Kept asking her and wouldn't let her answer. Wouldn't let her answer. It was just disgraceful. Well, then I don't know time. how that woman t- took it. Oh, by the way, I have some news for you. Uh, I don't know if it's public knowledge yet, but uh, the two senators have recommended another brother to take uh, Richard Jones's seat on the district court here. Oh, that's and you got it here first. All right, Eddie. Lamel. We appreciate you. World-famous attorney Lem Howe. Thank you very much, sir. Okay, Eric, we'll take a break and come back with Reverend Dr. Phyllis Bomani and uh, Ozella Rose and uh, Deacon Darlene Hobbs from uh, Mount Zion Women's Ministry after this break. Hi, my name is Mian Rice, the Diversity and Contracting Director for the Port of Seattle. As a public agency, the Port of Seattle serves the community and our investments should benefit everyone who lives and works here. The port is committed to equity, diversity, and inclusion, and to leveling the playing field. That means continuing to open doors to contracting opportunities to all, especially women and minority-owned and disadvantaged businesses. How can you participate? List your business in Vendor Connect, a database of contractors. Attend PortGen workshops to learn how to do business with the port. Learn more about contracting opportunities at Port Seattle. For more information on operating a concessions at Seattle Tacoma International Airport, visit lease.seataxhops.com. Why sit in bumper-to-bumper traffic when you can hop on Link Light Rail and fly by the gridlock? It's a smoother, easier, stress-free way to get where you want to go. Whether you're heading north to Capitol Hill and the University of Washington or south to Columbia City, Tukwila, and the airport, Link Light Rail will get you there quickly and safely. And if you have an ORCA card, even better. Just tap on the yellow card reader when you get on and listen for the beep to let you know your card has been accepted. Then tap your card reader again once you've reached your destination and listen for the double beep to let you know you've tapped off correctly. To find the closest Link Light Rail station or to learn how to get an ORCA card, just go to soundtransit.org and type Link Light Rail into the search bar. Sound Transit's Link Light Rail. Just another way that Sound Transit is powering progress. Alternative Talk, 1150 on AM, 98.9 HD3 on HD, 1150kknw.com on the web. All right, Eddie Wright back at Urban Forum Northwest, been joined by Hayward Evans as we talk with uh, the, the leaders of the Women's Mount Zion Ministry, Reverend Dr. Phyllis Bomani, uh, Deacon uh, Darlene Hobbs. Miss Rose, are you a deacon as well, or are you just on, you're on the committee, the Women's Ministry Committee? They're celebrating their 80th anniversary, and there's a really nice article on the front page of the facts today that has the guest speaker and uh, Reverend Dr. Bomani on. So uh, I would like to have Reverend Dr. Bomani uh, go into the program. She's going, she's co-hosting this part of the program, uh, so we can talk about the women's event. And since she's the president, she knows more about it than me, as well as Sister Hobbs and Sister Rose. So Reverend Bomani, go right ahead. 
First of all, I want to thank you for giving us the opportunity to be on your program, Mr. Rye. You're always welcome, ma'am. And um, it's just an honor for me to represent the women's ministry. I'm the newly elected president, and uh, I've been involved with the women's ministry for quite a while. My mother was a former president, and that's been many, many, many years ago. But right now, I want to uh, give uh, Mrs. Hobbs, Deacon Hobbs, an opportunity to just share a little bit about our duly aligned conventions that the women's ministry belongs to before we get into the history. Uh, Mrs. Hobbs has worked with the affiliate, uh, our National Baptist Convention, USA Incorporated, in many capacities through the state division. Uh, and I'd like for her, first of all, to just introduce herself and um, how long she's been involved with the women's ministry, uh, some of its history, and then the uh, alignment of the women's ministry as it relates to the National Baptist and the American Baptist Conventions. Mrs. Hobbs, Deacon Hobbs. Good afternoon, dear one. I'm Deacon Darlene Hobbs. I've been associated with the women's ministry, oh, since I was in my 20s, and now I'm in my, whatever, you know, over 50s now. <laughs> anyway, um, I started out as a, um, the American Baptist um, uh, Guild Girls as their chair. The um, Mount Zion is, is connected with uh, American Baptist, uh, which is called Evergreen Baptist. Um, it's our regional, it's our local thing. And, and we have, have workshops that we attend there. And I've been on been several workshops, even when we were out camping at Camp Burton. And also when we um, were at, uh, at workshops in Yakima and Moses Lake, we would uh, a group of us would go over there in our vans and things. We had a good time doing that. And also the, the women's ministry is associated with the um, National Baptist and our local is uh, the North Pacific Baptist Convention. And our uh, city is the uh, Northern Puget Sound Convention. I, I am, um, for the North Pacific, I've worked as a, Treasure for the women's department for several years, and I've attended um, their workshops and, and camping things. We have uh, several workshops that we that we have for in both those conventions that are that are um, that are so that you know with everyday life it uh, gives us room for personal development. Um, and also, I'm now I'm the state uh, recording secretary. I've been there about 13 years now. Um, and, and also, we go to the uh, National Baptist, and we have what we call Women in White Marches. And, and there we um, give things to the less fortunate uh, women. And we also do that on the local level, too. We have uh, what we call a fashion share that we uh, collect clothes and clothing and other items for, for the women. Uh, thank you. I, I want to say 
that just gives you kind of a glimpse of how dedicated the women are from Mount Zion and making sure that we participate uh, in the broader sense as well. But just to get started and give you a little bit more history, um, Mount Zion, as you know, was founded in 1890. And since that founding of Mount Zion, we have had women who have been faithful servants, and certainly Deacon Hobbs is certainly one of them. They've been just committed and faithful servants to the Lord and the integral part of our church. Um, I might just add that we have a mission. And as Darlene stated, we are duly aligned with two conventions, the American Baptist and the National Baptist, but we have our mission purpose. And that is to develop a deep spiritual interest among the members, assist the pastor in building up the church in its various aspects, to welcome strangers, to give all possible financial aid to the church, to implant and foster a true missionary spirit and inspire a spirit of helpfulness in the home and in the training of the children, remembering that the home is the foundation of the church and certainly of the nation. One of the things that I would like to share is how we convey and how we fulfill our purpose. And one of the ways is that we have three coordinators. One is to help the women with their personal development. The other is a coordinator for the church to reach out into the community, which uh, Past President Elma Horton was very faithful in doing that while she was serving. And certainly uh, to reach out in missions, uh, especially to uh, churches in Africa and other places where they're struggling, but yet committed to Christ. And I just want to emphasize this because uh, Deacon Hobbs has been a very important part of the reaching out uh, through the National Baptists and through the American Baptist Conventions. I just wanted to acknowledge her commitment in that regard and to bring the history together with it. Now, we are celebrating our 80th anniversary at Mount Zion Baptist Church on the 27th of March, which is this coming Sunday at 10 o'clock. And I would like to call on the co-chair of this wonderful celebration. And that is Sister Ozella Rose. And she's going to share some things with you about this celebration. Miss Rose? Yes, thank you, Madam President. And good evening. Thank you so very much, uh, Sister Hobbs, Deaconess Hobbs, and also Brother Rye. We truly appreciate this opportunity of coming before you to present some of the activities that we have planned and has already taken place. The committee, we started in February planning activity for the 80th 
Women's Ministry Anniversary Celebration. Some of the committees was working before we even had our first meeting. They were working on the health workshop. And this was headed by our dear sister, Winona Hall, Hollins Haig, and Sarah Dean, which happened on February the 19th. And it was a Zoom meeting. And this is what is so fantastic. Even though we were dealing with the pandemic, we had to improvise ourselves by utilizing the latest in technology. And for sisters that, you know, getting used to that venue took some time, but we did it. We persevere and we did it. That was well attended. We had guest speakers from back east and it was called Sunrise with My Sisters, which started at 7.30 a.m. in the morning and went until 9.30. There's a panel of speaking uh, guests of very professional doctors. Then the main topic and emphasis was on breast awareness, which was very enlightening. The next workshop we had was the intergenerational prayer worship service. And mind you not, all of these activities in February was sort of like the beginning, the opening of our celebration. And that was chaired by our own sister, Rebecca Becky Anderson, which was well attended by all age group. And that was also by the prayer line, which was formed by our own sister, Elma Horton. And we praise God for her for that. And moving right along to our March celebration, which head off with another workshop called the Writer's Workshop, which is titled My Story, My Word, which is led by our own Dr. Georgia McDay, a prophetic writer and an author. She had her first workshop which was held on March last week, I would say a couple of weeks ago, on the 11th. And she's going to end it this coming Friday with workshop number two, which is March the 25th. And as Reverend Dr. Beaumonti indicated, our final, our final celebration activity will be our morning worship service, which will be March the 27th at 10 a.m. with Dr. Oren. And we're looking forward to everyone in the community of all denomination to please come and worship and share in this experience. The ladies on the committee and the church, everyone has worked very hard to make sure that this will be an event that everyone will be inspired and will be spiritually uplifted and it will be memorable. The only thing is we are still having to deal with the pandemic. So all of the protocols will be in force at that time. And I thank you very much for this opportunity. And I'm quite sure my dear president, Reverend Dr. Bomonti, will fill you in if I left anything out. 
and well, we have about two minutes left. Okay. You were, I didn't acknowledge at the very beginning, you were the co-chair. Uh, that yes. is your title. And I'm glad to see that my cousin, Becky Anderson, is also involved. So, uh, Reverend Dr. Bomani, we have about two minutes. Can you go well, ahead? Let me and just say, yeah, I just want to emphasize Dr. Helen Orm, who is our, are going to be our preacher for the morning. Uh, she comes, uh, she is the form, she is the founder, rather, and pastor of Shekinah Glory Tabernacle, which is part of Pentecostal. And I just want to invite everyone to come and hear what God has placed in her heart to share with us as we continue to go forward with our mission and our work. And in doing so, the years to come and the years in the past, we give God the glory for he and he alone is worthy. Thank you, Mr. Rye, for having us on. And I hope there will be those who have listened will come and worship with us. Can I just say one more thing? I omitted my co-chair, the sister, Brenda. Charles Edwards. Yeah. Brenda anyway, Charles you guys are on the front page of the back. Anybody, anybody can see the information there's a very distinguished looking picture of Reverend Dr. Bomani and Dr. Helen Orham on the front page of the facts with all the details. So yes. uh, congratulations for all your hard work. We appreciate you. it. And uh, if anything comes up with the women's ministry, this program is a, a platform for you to use anytime you're doing something because you're doing it in the name of Jesus the Christ. So we appreciate it. Thank Amen. you, Eddie. Thank God you. bless. Bye-bye. All right. All right now, Thank you. Before, we're going to take a break and come back with uh, Hayward Evans, co-convener of the uh, Seattle King County Martin Luther King Commemoration Committee, because on August 4th is the 58th anniversary of the assassination of Dr. King. We won't be at Mount Zion. We'll be at the Holgate Church of Christ, 530 mm -hmm. to 7. And uh, we encourage you to come and remember Dr. King on, on, on the 4th of uh, April, which is going to be next Monday. Thank you very much, ladies. We appreciate the work you're doing on behalf of the Lord. Thank you. Thank you. Okay, take a break and we'll come back, Eric. Hi, my name is Mian Rice, the Diversity of Contracting Director for the Port of Seattle. As a public agency, the Port of Seattle serves the community and our investments should benefit everyone who lives and works here. The Port is committed to equity, diversity, and inclusion and to leveling the playing field. That means continuing to open doors to contracting opportunities to all, especially women and minority-owned and disadvantaged businesses. How can you participate? List your business in Vendor Connect, a database of contractors. Attend PortGen workshops to learn how to do business with the port. Learn more about contracting opportunities at portseattle.org. For more information on operating a concessions at Seattle Tacoma International Airport, visit lease.seataxhops.com. Why sit in bumper-to-bumper -bumper traffic when you can hop on Link Light Rail and fly by the gridlock? It's a smoother, easier, stress-free way to get where you want to go. Whether you're heading north to Capitol Hill and the University of Washington or south to Columbia City, Tukwila, and the airport, Link Light Rail will get you there quickly and safely. And if you have an ORCA card, even better. Just tap on the yellow card reader when you get on and listen for the beep to let you know your card has been accepted. 
Then tap your card reader again once you've reached your destination and listen for the double beep to let you know you've tapped off correctly. To find the closest Linklight Rail station or to learn how to get an ORCA card, just go to soundtransit.org and type Linklight Rail into the search bar. Sound Transit's Linklight Rail. Just another way that Sound Transit is powering progress. Alternative Talk 1150, the talk of the sound. All right, Eddie Rye coming back with Sly in the background. I'm on now with uh, Hayward Evans, co-convener of the Seattle King County, Martin Luther King Jr. uh, Commemoration Committee. And the committee uh, acknowledges uh, everything Dr. King was involved in from his uh, holiday event that's uh, sponsored by the Seattle King County uh, Martin Luther King Jr. Organizing Coalition. And then the Black History event that we had at Holgate Church on February 21st. And we always acknowledge the anniversary of the death, the assassination of Dr. King, which is uh, April 4th of every year, no matter what day it's on. Uh, I see the NC2A acknowledge it. They're not going to have the final game on April 4th on that Monday. They're going to have it on Sunday. But uh, Hayward Evans has been doing uh, all the work, most of the work on this whole program. And I'd like to have him just come on now and talk about what can people expect at to uh, Holgate Street Church of Christ, and we will have Minister Jimmy Hurd on next week, along with uh, uh, Dr. Brent Jones and also Representative Sharon Tony Santos. Those two Quakers, they both went to Franklin, but that's all right. Hayward went to, to, to Ballard, so yeah. I guess it's all right for them to go to Franklin. So anyway, Hayward, what are people in, in store for on April 4th at 5.30 p.m. at Holgate Street Church of Christ? Well, first of all, thank you for having me here, Eddie. And am I coming through okay? Yeah. First, first, thank you for having me here. Uh, for those who don't know, it's been 54 years since since Dr. King's since Dr. King's assassination. His murder. Let's let's be straight about it. And the fact is, because of his death, things have been taking place in this nation that are just unquestionable. If we look at what Lim Howell was speaking about earlier on your show, Eddie. And we look at the uh, the uh, uh, January 6th, the insurrection. Our country's really going through uh, uh, some hurting pains right now, if I can put it in that context. And the head of racism is alive and well. And for us who look at it from a historical perspective, understanding our history, and remember, it's his story, or her story, who's writing it, who's interpreting it, we have to present ourselves to the world as who we are. And so the fact is, on, on um, April 4th, it's going to be 54 years since the assassination of Dr. King uh, back in Tennessee. But it gives us a chance to remember not just him and the civil rights movement, but try to remember all the local people who've made significant contributions to our community that we uh, have a chance to remember them. It reminds me of what the Latinos do, the Day of the Dead. This, in, in some instance to me, is our day of the dead. It's to recognize people like Vivian Caver, who passed away, our state representative. Or, uh, or of all people, and I know a lot of y'all still might remember, old Jordan, Jordan's Drugstore. I mean, we remember him. He passed away. And so did Mrs. Jordan, Miss Nettie Jordan. A, amen. Amen. And Mrs. Jordan and, and Dr. Thaddeus Fratlin and Dr. Millie Russell. Um, just so many people who passed away, well, it's our chance to thank them for what they've done in the social justice slash civil rights movement. 
the folks who passed away. So we want to identify them, but also we need to acknowledge people who are here now who've done so much for our community who, uh, who again, get lost. How many people know we have an African-American superintendent now? Brett, Brett Jones has worked his life off to help educate our people. Well, he's the superintendent of schools. He's going to be acknowledged and receiving an award that day, the Thelma DeWitt Education Advocate Award, since he's pushing uh, for positive programs for our people. But in that same vein, it gives us a chance to look at uh, uh, Thelma DeWitty. She was the first African-American to work in Seattle Public School. And that's a name that should be remembered. And then uh, we look at the um, our union award, A. Philip Randolph. Of course, everybody knows A. Philip Randolph and, and the, uh, uh, the Porter Union. Eddie, I know you mentioned it because your dad was a leader. But A. Philip Randolph Unifying Workers Award. Well, this year's award is going to go to Larry Brown. Larry Brown is president of Washington State Labor Council, AFL-CIO. Well-deserved, and he's been organizing laborers, and we're one of the best states in the nation for organized labor. Uh, our third award is the Edwin T. Pratt Community Leadership Award. We need to remember Edwin T. Pratt. Edwin T. Pratt was the uh, executive director of the Seattle Urban League. He was assassinated in Shoreline, and they've never caught um, his murderers. Well, this year's award is going to the Central District Community Preservation Development Authority Board of Directors. This is a building that, Eddie, you know, we worked on for a few years to get. Representative Sarah Tomiko Santos has been extremely instrumental in getting the building to us and now helping to get it funded so we can launch it as a central focal point for a lot of uh, uh, African-American activities and educational activities within Martin Luther King County. Uh, the next award is going to our state representative, uh, Christine harris Talley. She really has worked hard, from my observations, for our community and from the committee's observations for our community. And every time we've called on her, Eddie, she's been there. She's never had a reason or excuse not to be there in supporting the interests of our community uh, from the state, um, state legislature. Uh, her award is the state senator John Henry Ryan Public Servant Award. And for those who don't know, John Henry Ryan was the first African-American state senator. And what he was known for uh, back here in the state of Washington, back in the uh, early 1800s, or excuse me, uh, 1900s, it was illegal for people to be married of different races. Well, they had a bill that was being sponsored down in Olympia saying it was illegal for black folks or for people of other races to, to marry one another. Well, he's the one who argued, fought it, and defeated it in our state uh, legislature that most people don't know. They should know about uh, John Henry Ryan. But anyway, the award's named after him. And our final award, and not least, is our George Washington Bush Living Legacy Award. And to me, it's, it's the highest esteem, and that means a lifetime of commitment to the uh, civil rights movement and to and to that movement for full equality for all people. This year's award is going to Chris H. Bennett. He's the founder of the Medium uh, newspaper and Z Twins Radio, Chris uh, 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 Radio. Uh, he's been around for over 50 years, lifetime of work in our community. Yeah, have I always agreed with him? No. I don't know nobody's agreed with everybody on everything. But Chris 
H. Brown truly, truly deserves this award because he's put in the time. He shared his views. And, and he's That's been Chris H. Bennett. Chris H. Bennett. He's the one who's been bringing that news and making sure it's to the forefront of our community. And you yeah, know, what I would just like to interject that when we were uh, busy about changing the name of the street, um, the medium newspaper, I must give Fitzgerald credit too. He was also there. But Chris had something on the front page every week for months uh, because they filed a lawsuit to prevent the name change of the street going through. And then in 84, when the station was kicking high, uh, there was we were allowed to Barbara Landers and I co-hosted and naturally Jesse Jackson was running. So we would compare the candidates. But uh, go ahead. we got about one more one or two more minutes. And then we go. You're going to be back on next week anyway. With some we probably like I said, we will have Dr. Brent Jones, Representative Sharon Tony Santos on. Uh, I think uh, Dr. Rayburn Lewis might be on and uh, Hayward Evans will be co-hosting next week. So uh, go ahead with any final remarks or comments. Thank you again. Again, this is our annual day of remembrance. Martin Luther King Commemoration Committee annual day of remembrance. I'm hoping that it becomes a countywide annual day of remembrance to remember all those folks out there who've suffered to improve the quality of life in our community. It's going to be held Monday, April 4th, 5.30 p.m. at Holgate Street Church of Christ, 2600. Holgate Street, we're talking two blocks north of Martin Luther King Jr. Civil Rights Memorial Park, just across the street from the Tennis Center. We're going to have light refreshments to begin with, and there's going to be a nice meal after the event. And this is your chance to, to congratulate the award recipients, also hear about the history, and also see the people that have passed away in our community and, and what they've accomplished. We've come a long way. Granted, we got a long way to go, Eddie, but we've come a long way as a people. And we need we need to acknowledge those folks in our community who are who are carrying that uh, that flag for us, the flag bearers for equality. And at and at that same vein, we have a variety of ethnic dishes. And if anybody's ever been to a, uh, a Martin Luther King Commemoration Committee program, Eddie, they know the food is good. <laughs> good conversation. So yeah, absolutely. Hayward, uh, and I also, you know, really want to give a shout out to Minister Jimmy Hurd, the pastor of that church. And also the congregation of uh, the Church of Christ, uh, the Holgate Street Church of Christ, are located on Holgate and Martin Luther King Jr. Way. So, hey, well, hey thanks very much. And uh, we'll be uh, back on again next Thursday because the following Monday is actually April 4th. So I want to thank you for hanging in there and doing all the work you've been doing. So thanks mm-hmm. a lot. And on the way out, uh, Eric, I want to thank... Uh, the Port of Seattle Diversity Contracting Office with, with me and Rice, Ms. Reagan, and Lawrence Coleman, the City of Seattle's Purchase and Construction Services Office with Liz Alzier, who I'll be talking to real soon about a brother that has a company that can do some city business. And also, I want to thank the Sound Transit Office of Civil Rights, John T. Robinson. And I want to give a shout out to Nikki Croxton and Rosalind Wilson down in accounts payable. I know Nikki was out with a medical. Hope you get well soon. And uh, once again, uh, Sat us uh, Monday, April 4th. Put it on your calendar. That's going to be the 54th observance. Uh, actually, the day of remembrance and award ceremony sponsored by the Seattle MLK Commemoration Committee. And uh, next week, we'll have more details. We'll also have some of the folks who are on the program uh, will also be present. So, Eric, thank you very much. Hayward, thank you. And we'll talk to you guys again next Wednesday. Don't forget, programs, archive programs can be heard at urbanformnw.com, www.urbanformnw.com. 
You can hear programs from the last year, including a lot of folks who are members of the Congressional Black Caucus and other folks who are doing great things in the community. So thank you very much. We'll talk to you again next week. Thank you.